welcome to A Leader's Impact, the Iris Interviews podcast. I'm Steve Cox, Director of Business Intelligence at Iris Software Group, and today I am delighted to welcome our amazing guest speaker, Pete Wilkinson. He's the founder and CEO of Reclaro. Pete, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, yeah. Hi, Steve. Great to be here. Um, so I've been in business for years. In fact, I, I recently came across the first book I found bought about business and that was I was 16 year olds and it was called the book of business money and power so I've always been interested in in how businesses work and stuff and my background was largely corporate so I worked for a big energy business for a number of years which was great they put me through lots of training then I ran some retail businesses and then more recently I've been coaching and consultancy and speaking around this whole topic of effectiveness productivity um, you know, how to achieve high performance with, with, a, with a group of people. More recently, we've launched a software startup, taking the methodologies of what I created, a 135 is the, is the system. And now we help companies to, um, to execute their strategy better and, and, and build high performing teams uh, using, using our platform. Brilliant. So a well-versed business professional then. So thank you for your intro, Pete. Now, to, to set a little bit of context for our listeners, we've been doing a bit of research and today's session is all around the productivity paradox. So let's focus in on Britain for a minute. Now, the latest kind of research says that Britain is less productive than most group of seven economies. And the figures show that the UK generates around £46.92 of output per hour compared to the likes of the US, which is £58.88 and £55.83 in Germany, and then £55.50 in France. Now, conversely, the UK is now the second largest data producer in the world, and academics have described data as the fuel of the economy for the future. So whilst the UK is lower in its output per hour, it's the second largest data producer in the world, which kind of seems contradictory. But today we're going to explore whether that data revolution could reverse this trend of middling performance and look practically at how companies can unlock this data opportunity. Now, Pete, the UK is the sixth largest global economy, but it's faced productivity problems for years with labour productivity being lower than uh, over the last past decade than any time in the last 20th century. Now, what are the key factors that are causing a downturn in this drag on the nation's productivity? I think there's three big things I would focus on initially. One would be the use of technology yep. and tools. And I don't think the UK has leveraged that enough. I think if I was being brutal, I think management and leadership training isn't as good as it needs to be. And I've seen this firsthand, you know, as I've been speaking and consulting with with many many groups of of business leaders um there is a there is a big like lack of prioritized leadership and management development in many companies unfortunately and then i think the third thing to think about is the staff development so i still come across examples of companies that that, that don't train their their frontline mm. people enough and, and also, Steve, really importantly, they, they don't have a structured one-to-one -one performance type system in place. You know, they may do an annual appraisal, but it, it, it's, it's not great to hear, but a lot of the annual appraisals are still tick the box yeah. exercises. They, they, are, they are reviewed, you know, tick the box, I've done it, and then they're often put away in a drawer. 
and then they're brought out in 12 months and say hey what did you what do you think you were you were going to do this year pete how did you get on and it's not a living document so i think for me one of the reasons that i've seen firsthand about our productivity being around 18 to 20 percent lower is we've not embraced technology and tools we're not prioritizing leadership management training and staff development and one-to-ones are not embedded in enough organizations now, do you think that some of the external factors around that have, have caused a change in any of that? I mean, if, if you think about what's been happening over the last few years, and even maybe a, a bit longer, you think about what happened with Brexit, where uh, the UK are obviously uh, leaving Europe. You think about more recently, COVID-19. Now, a lot of those have had a lot of external impacts on businesses, whether it be monetary or whether it be personnel. But also, if we think specifically around COVID, it seems to have changed people to be more of a digital mindset. Do we think that technology is playing a more important role, but still not strong enough? I don't think it's strong enough, but I think it has moved on a lot. And I'll be perfectly honest, you know, when I was doing a lot of presentations and masterclasses and then COVID hit, you know, it turned the whole thing Mm. upside down. And again, I'll be totally honest and open with you here, Steve, and... And I very quickly realized, you know, blah, my neck, I'm not going to be able to do live sessions. So I, I reactively thought about a solution. And the solution was to, you know, it sounds really easy now, but get an iPad, download a tool where you can annotate on a workbook so people can join via Zoom, see my workbook. I can annotate during the session uh, and then I can then afterwards share that workbook. And it, is it as good as a live session? M- maybe not. However, was it a very, very good solution at the time? Absolutely. But if, and and I know this stuff and I live and breathe this stuff, Steve, but if I was being honest, I did do that Mm. reactively. I could have been doing it before. Maybe I could have increased my reach. Maybe I could have reduced my travel. Maybe I could have been more productive myself if I was being totally honest about it, you know? So I think one thing COVID did do was force us into looking at other tools like Zoom, like Teams, you know, these tools that you can do video-based meetings. And, you know, I would say that a meeting when you hold it on Zoom tends to be more precise and yeah. concise. It's a shorter, more focused meeting. So if that's come out of it, that technology always existed, Steve, but I don't think we used it enough. I think there was apathy about it. And I think probably what COVID has done is is, is helped us with that, you know. But I, I still think there are tools out there that could enable our leadership teams and our frontline people to become more productive that we're still not really utilising. And I think Brexit has been a curveball, absolutely. But but all these issues have also affected other countries. And I think we've just been a little bit slower to to catch on to this, to be fair. Yeah, and it's funny you say about that, slower to catch on, because there was a report back in 2018 by the, um, the Productivity Institute that found that the UK has a higher proportion of lower-skilled managers than other European countries. So that's, what, five years ago? And they were saying that this was leading to poorer decision-making and a lack of innovation, which ultimately can impact productivity. So maybe there's actually some calls to, this has been around for a long time, and maybe only in the last few years we've started to recognise some of this. I mentioned earlier in the in the intro about how the UK's productivity performance is well below the output per hour compared to other parts of Europe, such as Germany and France. Now, I suppose the question really is, are UK workers in some way culturally different than those in Europe? You know, from what I've seen, and to give some context, you know, I've probably done about, in the last eight, nine years, I've done about 350 
sessions yeah. with teams. And each session's about 10 to 12 people. So I've come across many companies. Um, so I've got a good experience of, of a range of sectors as well. So it's not just being one particular industry. And I would be honest and say that I don't believe it's the workers as such that we've got like culturally, you know, resistant people or, or fixed mindset people. I don't, I don't think that's the case. And, and if I was honest, there's some of our European cousins um, have had bigger problems with strikes, etc., and things like that, yet they still seem to be productive, you know? So I don't think it's the workers. I, I, I do believe that managers and leaders um, need to step up. And I think leadership teams, senior leadership teams, they, they have to focus on developing their people to make better decisions, lead better. I mean, even just three areas that's really important is, is, is communication, transparency, mm. and recognition. You know, like, and, and again, I was fortunate in the Energy PLC. It was a business at the time called Northern Electric, and they were, I, I would say they were pretty ahead of their time. I mean, I'm going back to when I was probably in my late 20s, so probably 96-ish, something around the late 90s, maybe. And, and they had a MDP, they called it, Management Development Programme. And, you know, they, they trained people on different things. We, we, they had people training us on NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. Well, if anyone's got an experience of that, it's a great way to communicate, you know, behavior flexibility and building rapport and listening to people and things. So they were training like this in, in the mm. 90s, you know, um, heavily training, which, which I think then provided all of us on those programs to understand people a bit better, to have empathy, to, to prioritize better, to communicate better, which ultimately led to the business becoming more, more productive. So I don't think it's the workers as such. I think, you know, our leadership, and I don't know how you'd measure this, Steve, but if we had like a, a leadership level, I, I think we're not quite as good as what yeah. we think we are. And I think if we, if we took that on the chin and then built some really good training programs to grow people, we used to have a saying in retail, which was don't blame your staff, train your staff. And, and I, I think some people are just missing the basics of, of training. So in some regards, it's kind of a, a top-down approach is what's needed, but maybe even a back to basics approach could be the way to go forwards. I mean, I've been, I've been at Iris now for 21 years. I've had some phenomenal managers over that period. And it's the, one of the reasons why I've stayed because obviously it's a point of where you can continue to grow in an organization, but, but often to grow, you kind of need to be able to set a benchmark, right? And measuring productivity can be really, really difficult. So do you have some advice for business leaders or for anyone who's listening on, what should they be measuring? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it is a big topic, and I get get excited with this because I get. Well, look, you can't see my feet, but we're going like the clappers under the table because I'm getting really excited here. Um, so the first thing we need to be thinking about with productivity is is the difference between efficiency yeah. and effectiveness. Okay, so so we. I feel very strongly that often we focus on being super efficient, and how I try to think about it is. Efficiency is doing things right, but effectiveness is doing the right things. So at the very beginning, you know, are we actually working on the right stuff? You know, you could be really efficient at keeping your email down to 10 opened emails, but like, is that really going to move your dial? And, and we often have these days where we're really busy and we get home and we say to the partner, your life partner or the children or your dog or whatever, hey, what a great day today, never stopped. And they say, brilliant, have you made an impact? 
<laughs> Absolutely not. I've just been doing stuff, right? So, so I think sometimes we're measuring yeah. the wrong things, and I think it starts with effectiveness. And and you know, even something as simple as as, as looking at habits, and and we often talk about what I call the power habits, which is being focused, being organised, being proactive, and being disciplined. And even just starting with the really, really basics there. I think once we've got that embedded, so we understand that we're looking at helping our people to become more effective, not just efficient. I think then we should shift over to the difference between lag and lead measures. And at the moment, Steve, there's still a really big misunderstanding between lag and lead and, and a lot of people don't understand that. And how I try to explain it to try and sort of make, make sense really simply is if you pictured a stream or a river going towards the sea, then the lag measure would be at the mouth of the river just before it turns from, you know, fresh water to salt water, just before it hits the sea. That's your lag measure. And your leading measures, your lead measures, are what's happening upstream, which can predict mm. the lag measure. And I think a lot of companies, when I come across them, they're measuring sales, they're measuring the, the output, if you like, on, on what is the revenue. But it's, it's kind of always lagging behind because if you're very good at budgeting, then you shouldn't really be hitting an annual sales target in one month. It's very unusual to do that, of course. So the lagging measures of what predicts that, um, I think, is very important. And if you can work out you know, what happens before you make a sale and what happens before that and what happens before that. And then you get to the point where you start measuring and reporting on the leading indicators, the leading measures that will predict the output, you know? So it's it's not like jumping on the scales, just seeing if, you, if your weight's still where it is. It's, it's measuring the things that will predict the weight when you jump on the scales, you know? So I, I think we should be looking at, at, at lag and lead measures a bit better. I think we should be focusing on, on, on effectiveness. And I think we should be making sure there is visibility so that the people in teams can see if they're yeah. winning or not. And sometimes we don't even give them that information, Steve. We, 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 we say, oh, we're not where we want to be, you know, but there's no visible you know, document or, or, or system or screen or update that, that says that we're winning or not. you know. I think one of the things around the, the, the leading indicators that you've just uh, discussed very nicely there is that transparency is key as well, right? Because it needs to be something that everybody can see. So that therefore, someone might take some insights from those leading um, indicators that will help the lagging ones. And I think our, our audience today are probably sitting there going, yeah, we've got some of those lagging indicators already. The outputs, it might be something that the banks are asking or their stakeholders are asking for. But those leading ones have got to come from management. They've got to come from the leaders of the business to be able to kind of go, here's where we're going. Here's what we're doing rather than the here's what we've done. And I think that's a mindset shift in, in some regards, isn't it? Yeah. And of course, when you start tracking these leading measures, there are some massive lessons to learn as well. And we, we looked in one business and it was a it was a property business and it was a very, very simple example. Steve, but we looked at the, the people who were the top producers of, of, of revenue, of, of, of satisfied closed um, contracts, if you like. And when we looked back through all the different measures, one of the really big ones that came out was the amount of time spent on the phone connecting with, with, with good customers and what we would call at the time yeah. hot buyers, if you like. And there was a direct correlation between the top 10 producers and the top 10 time spent on the phone. And, and, and something as simple as having a system that records the amount of connections and then using that for training to improve those interactions at the right volume predicted the revenue in three months' time. And it was, it was as formulaic as that. But, of course, it was just 
putting a system in for data, going back to you know measuring the right things that would predict the performance. And it was just it was like a light bulb moment, you know. But people don't, people don't always measure that, you know. And and I think once you've got a system for doing that, making it transparent. We, it was a legal, legal firm in London I did some work with, and they had a great system, and they were even measuring net promoter yeah. score. You know how you can kind of measure the yeah you come across that how to how if a customer is likely to recommend you to a, a friend and colleague, and they built in to their system not just the amount of work and the the length of time a legal case was taking, but also a live net promoter score at different touch points, and and everybody could go to see this large screens around the company that was just showing what we're doing is working and keep doing it, you know? Whereas there's not many companies have that. Now, yes, that invest, that took a series of amount of time and money investment, but they were then able to use data to measure the right things that predicted the desired result. Hence, the people were yeah. productive. And it was just simple as that. But leaders had to make that decision. You have to, inside the business, you've got to make that decision. You know, we're going to tackle this challenge, you know? You can't just stick your head in the sand with this stuff. You've got to um, address it. Agreed. Um, you've talked about quite a few different uh, points there around like, the, the fact of having visibility of that data is really important. Obviously, there's a, a fine line sometimes for management to tread between what is showing all of these leading indicators and then ending up micromanaging people as they go through their day to day, which that comes down to being a good leader, right? And knowing that good balance for it and ultimately knowing whether it's right for some staff versus others. But just, just thinking about the data point and coming back to some of the studies that we've read recently, because Harvard Business Review, I mean, uh, most people will have read one or two of their articles over their time, if not subscribed to their monthlies. But they did a recent study, which was all around these kind of, which countries are the big data producers? So the top five were the US, the UK was second, followed by China, Switzerland, and South Korea. Now. If the UK has been hailed as the second largest data producer with this strong momentum in terms of sophistication and complexity of these digital activities, some of which could be these leading indicators that um, firms are now starting to go and do, what happens when this kind of starts to open up to more data flows, to more information? Do you think that this is going to continue on this momentum? What's your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I did come across that review, Harvard Business Review, which I'm... A little surprised the UK were ahead Likewise. of China and just just behind the US. I was a bit surprised at that, which is which is good news. And I, do you know what? I think that's a great foundation that we are capturing data and that we have we are gearing up for this opening up of data being the the, the new you know oil yeah. almost type of thing. You know, and, and I think that's great. Um, I, I do think, you know, and I've been guilty of this in in, in previous um, businesses where we get that much data, we start to measure too much. So I think you've got to be quite clear and brave around capture all the data, use it to make informed decisions, use it to improve, but be, be careful that you're not getting that paralysis yeah. by analysis, that you just spend the time looking at everything because you can get two sets of numbers that can sometimes give you a different picture. And I think once, I think capturing the data is important and, you know, um, when we when we had that go about that company that was tracking the calls, you know, it was something as simple as that. But using that as the basis of, so so now we know based on that what the data needs to show at a certain level to, to predict this output, and then that's where we focused, you know. So if you're using the data to make better decisions and improve, it's a good thing. But you've got to make sure that the the systems that you have in your company are 
able to cope with the volume of data and then give you reports to do yeah. something with. So it's not just recording for recording's sake. You know what I mean? I mean, look, I, you know, I'm very passionate about health and fitness. It, it's not a surprise. The data's there. We should be drinking two liters of water. We should be moving five times a week. We should try and get between seven and nine hours sleep. You know, it's not, I didn't know that. Everybody knows that, Steve, but there's not many doing it. So the yeah. data's there, but it has to be used. But I was very pleased to see the UK leading the way with that, you know? Uh, agreed. I mean, you kind of look at some of those other countries that are listed there and you kind of see some of the innovations that they're doing and how they're driving multiple economies and ultimately multiple different industries as well. And the, the point you're just making about the data there is, yes, the UK might be being heralded as kind of the second largest data producer, but there's three aspects to that, like you just said, which is one is you've got to have the data. Yes, the UK have got it in large volumes. Two is then you've got to be able to take insights from that data to understand it because interpretation of data can be very difficult and is a bit of a fine art. And then the third part to that is you've got to be able to deliver an action off the back of it. It's all well and good having the data that would just be like, like hoarding it all and not doing anything with it, then interpreting it and understanding it and being able to then understand what do we do about this? And then to actually then commit to go, now we're going to go do something off the back of that because that will help us. So your example there, the, the health one is, yes, data tells us that we should be drinking two litres of water a day. That's the insight. The action is, do you know what? I'm going to go and fill up a bottle that I know is a litre and then I've got to have two of those a day. And so what's it And I would even argue that if you've got the data and, and, you, and it leads to some insights and then nothing happens after that, Steve, that, that's actually lowered confidence because it leads to frustration because you're then going... Explain what we should be doing. Look, the data show you this, and so yeah, we'll get to that. It's like no, look, the data says this is the way we should be going, or this is how we should be communicating, or this is what we should be measuring, or whatever, you know. And then if you don't take that action, you get frustration, which is one step away from anger. So that then then drops productivity, you know. So I bet there's some companies sitting on data, and there'll be some groups of people, you know, right now getting so frustrated that the company's not actually taking it on board to pivot or to to go deeper in a certain a certain way, you know. Um, I'm very pleased the UK is where they are. I just hope that we use the data, as you say, analyse it, come up with some conclusions and then take some action on the back of it. And then that would lead to becoming more productive. Yeah, agreed. And one of the things that probably some of our listeners are thinking right now is, okay, I've probably got this huge volumes of data, not just of their own, but also kind of ones that are within their industry, within the profession, within the UK. The question is, how do you go and start to go through all of that? And I think that's part of the build up for why there's so much excitement behind AI at the moment, because obviously it takes all of that huge amount of data and then can start to do things with it. And we'll come back to what the do means in a minute. But how that can help them to kind of drive those further productivity gains and improvements. And Gartner recently did their, uh, their hype cycle for artificial intelligence. And one of the biggest parts that uh, everybody is talking about, and I'd be surprised if any one of our listeners hasn't heard of it, is ChatGPT. So it's just hit its first birthday of being out in the public domain. Everybody has either had a little dabble with it or has read something about it or is looking to implement it. But that's at the peak of its inflated expectations. And ultimately, it's not going to plateau for another five to 10 years. So it's still early on in where it's going. So I suppose the, the, the question for me is that whilst there's this huge excitement behind AI at the moment, is it hype right now? Or should businesses be looking to AI to help drive these kind of further productivity gains and, and insights and then actions off the back of it? 
Yeah, I don't think it's hype. I mean, you can get very excited with these technologies and anyone that's used it and even dabbled with it, it is a little scary and exciting in equal measure, you know? Um, if we give you an example from our own SaaS startup, so we, we, we're a software startup, Stephen. We, we've got a, a product and we've put AI into this product. And what we can do now is we would build someone a, a, a one three five yeah. client, just clearly says the where, the what, and the how. It's a very simple, simple tool. And it would probably take, if I was working with a customer, it would probably take me about an hour to an hour and 10 minutes to get a starting plan built. You know, one vision, three objectives, and five key results for each, right? Take me about an hour to get like a, a working version, you know, to get my head around it and, and, and have them to have something to then, you know, develop further in their own time. But to get going, it would take about an hour. And um, we, we put the tool into our product and we did the testing. And our dev team's like, you know, go, go and have a test. So I wrote this two-sentence vision, which took me about four seconds or something, just a very, very brief thing, you know. Hit this, this button, and within 35 seconds, I had three core objectives, each with a very clear outcome. I had five key results for each, all measurable in 35 seconds. And I thought, that's just replaced me. <laughs> an, hour of, an hour of output in 35 seconds. And that was, ju and that was just like, we're just scraping the yeah. surface with it, you know? We, we even took it one step further where we actually used ChatGPT to write its own terms and conditions for using it. Wow. It's just like, you know, that would have been like a couple hours of legal stuff and I'm, you know, but, and, and, and okay, is it perfect? Probably not. But it's enough, you know, and it's like if that meant that I then took that time and then focused over there on something else, then I've just yeah. become more productive, you know, because it can't, ChatGPT can't go out and talk to some nice new partners, for example. It can tell me who they are and who I should target, of course, and we do use that, but it can't do that bit. But the bit of like admin bit, it did it in 35 seconds, Steve, and I'm like, geez, you know, like I've done that like, I don't know how many times. I've done it over 100 times. So there's like a hundred hours or 135 <laughs> seconds. And, and, and it was just yeah. straight out the bat. You know what I mean? It was like, it was just, hey, let's see how this works. So now a customer looks at it and they have a blank screen. They type two sentences, they press their button, 35 seconds, hey, presto, they've got a starting point. So if it works like that, I think that's a very useful tool. So I don't think it's hype. Um, you, of course, you do get the early adopters that will talk these things up and, you know, um, and, and, and stuff, but for, for, for me, yeah. it can actually help, and it can, you know, even even like LinkedIn posts, you know, just just go there and say, give me give me ten LinkedIn posts around increasing productivity in a in a UK business. You'll get, you could write them yourself, but you'll get the starting point in a couple of seconds, you know. I think it's kind of where we're seeing the future of kind of this, the AI bit, certainly from a generative AI that are using these large language modules and things like that, like ChatGP to help people start to uh, break the creative barriers. I think it's the way I would have described it when we come to AI right now. The examples you've just given are, are great ones. And it, it seems that people are starting to fine tune their use of these. And one of the growing roles, certainly within the UK, we've seen is the, the, the new emerging role of a prompt engineer, which is all around obviously building the prompts for these generative AI models so that you can have a conversation with it to better understand um, ultimately what the output's gonna be. So. Yeah, I completely agree. Not hype. Something that people are starting to expand. 
are we where uh, the pinnacle of it? No way. There's still so much more to go. And I mean, McKinsey, another um, report that they did was talking around how AI could automate up to 70% of work activities. I mean, you, you've just described a couple of your own ones, right? So we can see this being kind of the future where it goes. But the interesting thing is, obviously, AI is big big business and it's going to have a massive impact on kind of the uh, the economy not just in the uk but worldwide and um with all of these data fueled applications of ai supposedly it's going to generate 13 trillion dollars in new global economic activity by 2030 so that's what less than seven years away and um, mckinsey are saying that they dub it as the next world order i'm not sure that i kind of agree with that but it, it does go to show that it's such a big impact as what's going to have. I mean, when you think oil was the big thing in the last century, could AI be the next big thing for the, this century? So if that's the future, and we've talked about the, the, the potential for it right now, what should businesses be doing now, today, to get themselves into a position to capitalise on this for the future? Yeah, I think it comes down to one word, that's education. I do, Steve. I think I think you cannot just think that someone else is going to sort this for you. I think businesses need to look for where they can get education around this, around uses. And I'm thinking, you know, where we based in the northeast, there's a, a uh, an organisation called the Entrepreneurs Forum. I've done a lot of work in 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 the Humber region. There's a bit an organisation called for Entrepreneurs Only. There's the FSB. There's the Chamber of Commerce. You know, the, these are organisations that that businesses should be reaching out to. And, and, and asking, you know, how can, what should we be understanding? Because you yeah. don't know what you don't know, but it, we should be prioritizing education to a degree of becoming knowledgeable about its potential impact in, in the marketplace, because, you know, can it, can it help us to become more productive? Absolutely. If we don't adopt it and a competitor does, do they yeah. become more productive? Absolutely. So you, you need to be thinking about this. So I think the first word is education. And I, and I think, you know, there I've seen lots of um, courses and, you know, YouTube videos. And, and like I say, some of these business led organizations are doing work with companies um, to help them understand it. But but make no mistake, I, I really would struggle to think of one company that, that wouldn't benefit from an understanding of AI to, to simplify some internal processes, you know? I mean, I know leaders that were using AI to, to reply to emails, yeah. complex emails, just putting it in there, answer this succinctly, and it's just a starting point. It just If it saves you 15 minutes, you do that four times a day, you know, you're on to an hour, you do that five times a week, you've got half a day, so use it to do that, and then finish on Friday at three o'clock and go for a game of golf. You know, it's, that's what you can do if you want to do that, you know, if you want to become more productive. So, so, but I think education is where we should be starting at the moment. I'm 53 year old now, Steve, so the, the technology that I've seen move, you know, because I was in I was in businesses years ago where we didn't have Gmail, we didn't we didn't have email, we we yeah. had fax machines for sales figures, you know. I was waiting for the waiting for the <laughs> figures to come off the fax, you know. And it's like people just think that's crazy. My well, my my daughters will say, "What? There's a time? Be yes, there was a time before Google. You couldn't Google something, you know. It's a it wasn't a product or a verb, you know." Um, so I've seen it grow massively and, and I've just got to make sure that I'm not resistant to change That I'm not saying, oh, yeah, you know, it's this is for, you know, young organizations. Absolutely not. In fact, 
I was at a SAS conference um, in July and one of the lead speakers was saying that, you know, if you're a software business and you're looking for serious investment, if you don't have AI as part of the offering or it's an AI type of tool, you're going to struggle because they, they're looking for new technologies that are going to absolutely do this, you know, 70% of, of work being automated yeah. through AI because a lot of what we do could be. And a lot of a lot of potential investors are looking at this as well as to, I mean, going back over the last 10 years, it used to be a case of your business valuation would go up if you had started to automate processes. Then it'd go, the business valuation would go up if you'd moved more towards cloud and then into full SaaS. And now it feels that business valuations are, are, are dependent upon AI being a part of it as well, because it means that the next investor doesn't have to put so much money in to do that for you if you've already done it. So there's a, a big importance for the education, not just from a point of view of how can you go and use it? It's what does the impact of that mean for your business today, but also the valuation of it. But one of the things that I think is really important, and I was at a, a technology conference for accountants last week, and this came up as a, a discussion that I was on a panel around, which was, should we be cautious around AI? And uh, I got asked this question directly, and I said to them, of course, with all of these sorts of things, yes, you don't want to go feet first in. You do have to have a certain level of caution. Certainly with accountants, they're dealing with personal information of their clients. So what sort of data should you be putting into these public platforms such as ChatGPT? Yes, you do need to have an air of caution. And there are still some instances where there's some ethics questions around AI. And this is part of AI still growing, still learning, still understanding. And there was a recent case uh, that was done by the Applied Research uh, Technologies where they were testing out the capabilities of ChatGPT and they set it a task to complete something and they said, do it to the best of your abilities. Now, that's a, I'll say a human phrase that we would talk to each other and say, look, do, do your best. Well, of course, to an AI, that meant do everything possible to complete it. Well, it was trying to complete a form. It got to one of those capture sites where you've got to click on the number of bicycles within the picture. Of course, the AI can't do it. So it reached out to a human and said to them, can you do the capture bit for me because I'm visually impaired? So you could say, well, the AI was lying, but ultimately we asked it to go and do it to its best of abilities. So sometimes it's education's really important around parameters as well as kind of what are the good things and the bad things that we should be looking at. So I think your point on education is a really, really strong point that, yes, education is, is key to the way that we do this, but for multiple facets for what we've got to go and do. So AI feels like the way forwards. Seems certainly uh, for you guys, you're using AI today. At Iris, we're using it internally as well as building proof of concepts within our products. But which businesses are using AI today? I mean, how do you prioritize going down the route of playing with these shiny new technologies, building out a data strategy when, do you know what? In all honesty, a lot of businesses are struggling with the day to day issues of kind of winning businesses, retaining staff, and preserving profits. So, what, what are they doing today with AI? You have to be careful. You think it's an opportunity, but it might be a distraction masquerading Great. opportunity. So you've got to be careful about this. But I am seeing technology businesses obviously using it, but also property businesses, a lot of thing in prop tech in terms of using AI to qualify different inquiries to, to direct people to the, the ones that are more qualified at that particular point. I see a lot in, in obviously software businesses are using this a great deal. I think the sectors that the most are the, are the sort of technology-led sectors. 
So people who have replied on, uh, relied on technology already seem to be using it. But I think what is worth considering is putting some boundaries around it. So not just saying, hey, we're going to use AI, let's all just yeah. go and do that. Like set up some sort of project group or a working group, you know, some, some, some people to look at case studies, you know, um, use cases within a, within a company. So I used to use this, this concept. I learned it a while ago. I think it was from, from a property business and it, it was called OGAP, which is where you look at one of your processes in a company and you rate it whether it's outstanding, good, um, acceptable or poor. So there's like kind of, it's an acronym for, for outstanding, good, um, acceptable or poor. And, and what some companies are doing is they're looking at certain processes you know, and I would always prioritize processes that are going to affect the customer or affect the P&L first. So, you know, you don't, don't do it for, for, for minor processes initially. But if you're going through that process, then could, could there be a project around, can AI enhance that process? So, like, if, how we onboard a customer? Is there any way that could help, could AI mm. help that customer? If it's, if it's organizing payment or sending out reports or, or, or taking customers data that they've got in a system and then making it more understandable for them. So I think I think you have to be aware that there are many pressures on companies at the moment and there is a problem with, with talent. That's a whole yeah. different topic, but there is a, a war for talent and you shouldn't take your eye off that. And there's profitability issues and there's the cost of living crisis and there's flexible working. There's lots of things, but I think they always has been. So I think as long as you can put some sort of team together and, and it depends on the size of the organization. You know, larger organizations are going to be able to put more resources in. But even a micro business, you know, we, we still we still have time set aside to look at can AI enhance this yeah. this process? You know, can, can this can this streamline us in any way? And and if it takes a bit of time to put it in, Steve, but it's it saves you 30 minutes each time you do it, it doesn't take long before that replaces a significant amount of time. And as long as you replace yourself with other high value activities, then you become a more productive business. And I think, but be very careful. You can go down a rabbit hole. And before you know it, you've wasted two hours and you're looking thinking, this is amazing, but there's no business use case there. So you do have to measure that. I, I used to be just enthusiastic. I'm now trying to control my enthusiasm with these things because I was, I was a bit too enthusiastic in the past. And maybe that's where the, the, the difference between kind of large and small businesses comes in as well, because large businesses may have people that are more focused on exploring these sorts of things, whereas small businesses, you wear many hats to be able to do it. So time could be part of it. And I remember there was a study recently that said that uh, large businesses were probably 68% more likely to adopt AI technology compared to 15% of only small businesses. Some of that could be down to, uh, to availability, because obviously, some of these things are expensive and resourced, exactly like you say. So maybe maybe the answer then is around kind of like a data strategy rather than an AI strategy. So what kind of problems does a, a data strategy probably help to solve then? Is it around these inefficient processes? Is it more about understanding staff and customers? Or is there something else? I think, I mean, a, a, a correct thorough data strategy should address yeah. those points. And, and I keep coming back when I'm working with teams or with my own team, I keep coming back to, is this going to help the customer or is this going to help the P&L? And we put it through that lens because, you know, if we talked earlier, you can amass lots of data, but if it's not going to help the customer's experience yeah. in some way, how they are served, how they are, how they receive your product or service, 
If it's not going to enhance that at all, then question why you're doing it, or if it's not going to really impact the P&L, so it's not going to enable you to, to run a more productive company, you know, um, then, then, I think, then I think you should question it. I think, I think AI is part of a bigger data strategy, and, you know, we, we need to be making sure we're collecting the right data, but then I think it's, it's, back, to the, it's back to the use cases. It's, you've got to have the data strategy sits at the top, but it's like we're collecting this data, we're using it, and we're going to improve these decisions, which will lead to a better experience from the customer. And how do we know that? So whether that is net promoter score or whether that's lifetime value, whether that's you know daily users of a product or whatever it might be, I think you have to connect the dots. And I think sometimes you can get bogged down with just analyzing everything that doesn't impact the customer yeah. or the business. You know, and I think that's what we've got to be careful about. But yes, AI is, is, is great, but it sits within the bigger piece of, a, of an overarching data strategy. So what, what are you collecting? What, how are you going to use that? Is that going to help the customer? Is it going to help the business? You know, what do customers need? You know, like, like we went back to that, that example a while ago, just, just the data to require to work out how productive someone is. And e even something as simple as like the data around revenue yeah. for FTE. It's a great measure, Steve. We, I looked at three different businesses in one sector, and, and when I looked at the numbers, you know, one was 88,000 per FTE, one was 136,000 per FTE, and one was 155, 154, eight or something yeah. per FTE, and they were in the same <laughs> sector. Well, it doesn't take you long to realize that the, the com if the company at 88, I think it was 88,000 per FTE, if they could get to sort of 155, you know, per FTE, you know, getting another sort of 70, 65, 70,000 pound revenue per year, per full-time employee from the bigger company being more productive. And by the way, these were all small companies. So these were all sub yeah. 15 million revenue. So they weren't, they, I'm not saying this is a project you do with like, oh, it's easy when you get a company doing 300 million, but these were, these are smaller businesses. But, but if you, if you know, you suddenly go, well, actually, we're getting seventy thousand pound revenue per FTE more from 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 twenty people. That's 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 a million and a half nearly of, of extra of extra revenue without adding more people because in the first company they weren't as productive as the yeah. latter company, and they were just smaller businesses. So it, this isn't just a big business challenge; it's a small business opportunity as well by measuring the right thing and then using it to make informed decisions to enhance something in your in your company. And in that example, a huge difference, you know? Yeah, and the example you just talked about there kind of brings us back to a point that we were talking about earlier with these leading and lagging ones. Some of those, are like the revenue per head, that's a, a could be seen as a lagging one that actually that indicates that that business is doing something maybe that they're looking at their leading indicators and working out how they can drive things differently. Well. They are, and and they're utilising yes. technology, and they they they're not they're not a inverted commas manual yeah. business, you know. Um, we came across one team um, not long ago, and you know they were using spreadsheets for a particular part of their company, and when we went into the detail with them, they were updating figures or, or reports on a spreadsheet, but they were like looking at. They were looking at their email to find the spreadsheet from their line manager, opening it up, updating the data, saving it, telling which version it was, 
So, so they were capturing the data, Steve, in terms of the data strategy, but it was in a very unproductive way of doing it. And, I mean, that exercise might take 35 minutes, you know? That, that, that there would have been a tool they could utilize that would have, that would have saved 25 minutes. And if, and if you've got 10 people doing that every single week, it doesn't, mount, it doesn't take long before it mounts up to a, a productivity problem, you know? And I've seen some businesses, certainly within uh, some small businesses, some large businesses, some professional service-led businesses, where they're doing exactly that. They're taking data from systems, compiling it together into spreadsheets, and suddenly it can be days out of date, weeks out of date before they're even reviewing it, to then deliver actions off the back of it. And because they're only looking at this in kind of like uh, almost like compartmentalized as to what they're doing for it, it's causing a wider issue. So yes, your data strategy is really important, but I suppose the thing that we're kind of exploring now is why it's, in, it's a real link to business strategy. I mean, what are your thoughts about that? Data led's great, but what about the business? I think it has to lead to the business. And I think, I think you know, we've, we've touched on this, you know, if it, if, it, if it doesn't develop and enhance the execution of your business strategy, then yeah. you've got to question it, you know. And if your business strategy is winning new customers, keeping customers, serving customers, because it's because it, everybody, you know, I work with lots of companies that say, "Oh, our business is different, Pete." And we say, "Okay, then. Does money come in? Yeah. Does money go out? Yeah. Do you actually serve somebody with something, a product or service? Yeah. Well, it's the same business, right? It's 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 like okay, you've got customers, you know, and your money comes in, money goes out. So I think it all has to come back. It it, it, it kind of like has to actually, you know develop and use the strategy. But the problem at the moment, linking this productivity challenge is that there's not many companies have found a way to link the strategy to people's day-to-day actions. You know, and if the data's driving that, that's great because you don't want a large group of people just doing enough to keep their jobs because they're not as engaged, because they're just doing the basics because the data isn't supporting that. There's not, they don't know that what they're doing is connecting to the bigger picture and it's not mm. moving the strategy forward, you know? And if you look at Dr. Cotter did some research, it was validated many times that only 5% of organizations successfully implement a full strategy. You know, and that was deemed as the strategy achieved what it set out to do. It, you might get close to it, but you don't yeah. fully execute it. You know, so there's, the, and, and one of the reasons is, and you look at anything that Gallup have done in terms of engagement and stuff, that this, this large group of people are just doing enough to keep their job state, to keep their head above water. So they're not productive, they're not driving, you know what I mean? Because the strategy is, is not communicated to, the, to every, every sort of, you know, worker being a team. And you have to do that. I was at Google a while back in London, the head office, and they were talking about this, this weekly short video they get to send round, how they have 97% engagement levels watching this short video. So you have a senior member of the leadership team recording a very short video and, and sending that round and, and in London especially getting a 97% engagement level of like this is what we've done this week in terms of our strategy this is where we've moved the dial this is what's worked great one one video affecting 97% of the workforce which is which is linked yeah. back to strategy and and I, and I, and I think you know it's it, it's a dry topic strategy sometimes but I think it doesn't have to be you know, like you can make a compelling vision. You can really engage the team. Come on, let's build something special, you know, and people want to be part of that. But it, it, it absolutely links back to strategy. It's, it's all about execution. So I suppose the question then becomes on the, on the strategy bit. And if 
if, if data is so important, and I think McKinsey say that data-driven organizations are 19 times more kind of likely to be profitable, it kind of feels like, well, this is the way forward. So is this something that managers and leaders have to set? Who else should be involved for a, a, a data strategy or even from the business strategy point of view? Yeah, I mean, it's it'll be led by the technology teams and companies. There'll be the technology guys will be leading it. But I think it does require, it, it, if we're serious and going back to the very big topic around the productivity paradox and what it means and how data can affect that, it, it is going to take executive yep. sponsorship. It's going to have to be something that's not going to be a nice to do. It's going to be a must do. So it means that we're going to have to address some of the things that we've talked about today. You know, we're going to have to prioritize training. We're going to have to build compelling visions. We're going to have to show people how what they do today somehow moves the dial over here. You know, your contribution today has moved that dial a little bit. We have to do that. And at the moment, we're not we're not doing a very good job of that. You know, we, we prioritize training. I mean, we, we're a, in our SaaS business, it's five of us, Steve. So we're not yeah. a big team on any stretch, right? But we do this thing called MTS, and it, and it stands for micro training session. So every Friday after the huddle, uh, mostly I'll lead them. You know, I'm the founder, mostly I'll lead them. But we'll do a 10, 15 minute training session on a very small topic. It might be how to make better decisions, how to stay focused, how to communicate a bit better. You know, how to match someone's language when you do it, how to, the whole range of things. But it's, the point is that we've prioritized it. And in a micro business, it might only be 10, 15 minutes, but every member of the team are on those sessions every week. We then put the notes into Slack and we share them so they get the training notes. So it's just saying training's important. You know, like we want to be the best trained team we can be. And we're only five and we're going to grow and that's fine. Yeah. But it's a priority. You know, we we have a we have a compelling vision, Steve. We have a we have a team charter where you have purpose, values, and expectations document. You know, we've got all this stuff built to create an environment where people are empowered to, to do their best. And and I think it doesn't take a lot of money and it doesn't take a lot of time, but it takes attention. And I have to put my attention on it. But by doing it, you know, then then you're going to get these engaged employees you're going to get these inspired people that want to go the extra mile that are that are part of something bigger than just oh i just come in and do a shift yeah. and go home you know and that's that's not just the worker going back to a previous point raised. that's not just the workers challenge that's the leadership teams to facilitate the environment where people want to flourish they are trained they're informed they have the data they know that what they're doing is working and they're moving forward and then there's the transparency and the recognition when they move forward you know that's that's so I'm getting very excited now. <laughs> it's a very important topic. No, no, that's good. It's good to see. Well, the, the, on the business strategy, then, so it, it kind of feels that there's a, a wider part to play in this whole pro, uh, like productivity paradox we've talked about as our big topic. That yes, business strategy is really important, and you need the vision from the top, and that needs to be led as kind of like here's our direction, here's our purpose. But you've got to bring everybody along on the journey as well. Education is going to be key to that. And yes, there'll be the various parts that will be involved in the more detail of it. But actually, what you really want is, no matter whether you're a business of five or 500, you want to bring everybody on that journey so that they feel a part of it and they're on the journey rather than having the journey done to them. And that's going to be key to it. So we're kind of coming to, to the end of our, uh, our podcast now. And... 
We covered a huge amount. So what key takeaways would you offer our business leaders who are listening and ultimately in terms of how they can be more productive? Yes. I mean, I think you, you need to come up with some sort of framework. Yeah. There's loads out there. F- f- you know, find a framework that you can deploy that helps your people understand what they should be doing. You know, it's not enough just to work hard. They've got to work hard on the right things. And it's our responsibility as leaders to provide that. I think you should review your vision and make sure it's a compelling vision that's going to attract the right people to go the extra mile. I do think you should look at your core values and say, do these need to be updated? Have we set and forget with our values? I see many companies, oh yes, we've set them. And yeah. when did you last review them? Like, did you, you know, do, do, do you, I remember there's a, a I saw a, a guy who was a founder of this restaurant chain. He had this thing in his restaurants called the Love Candle and it was live our values every day. And the first person in the, in the restaurant lit the candle and the last person extinguished. And it was a symbolic measure of when that's lit, are we living our values? You know, I think look at the training you're doing. Be honest with yourself. You know, are you doing enough training? Do you think you're not doing enough training? You're probably not doing enough training. You know, and, and, and even just the micro training sessions we do, it's just 10, 15 minutes, you know. Um, and, and I think communication, we, we had one of our customers grew massively and she was telling us it was to do with communication, it was to do with alignment and it was to do with prioritization. She got better at communicating the direction and how we're doing. She got better with having people aligned, as you say, you've got to bring everyone with you. Absolutely. And then, you know, ultimately, she saw that the team was starting to prioritize the right things. A lot of what people do is based on habit, based on what they've always done, but it might not be serving them. So I think if we can get a compelling vision, we can have a simple framework, whether that might be, it could be OKRs, could be KPIs, could be, there's lots of different ones, EOS, Pinnacle, there's loads of frameworks and systems out there, you know, scorecards, everything, but have a system to help your people to connect the dots from what they're doing day to day, because strategy ultimately, Steve, you know, get, get yourself a, a five-year vision, uh, you know, stretch big, big, powerful vision for five years, build a 12-month plan, and all you've got to do is get your guys to execute every quarter, and four quarters makes up the year, and each year, you're 20% of the whole. And it's not, it's not more complex than that. I think we sometimes overthink it. It just have a simple system that's robust to say we're winning, we're on track. And if you get that, then, then you're light years ahead of the average business. Because the reality is, that, you know, someone's going to finish in, in Germany. Someone's going to get done by Thursday night, what takes us yeah. in the UK till Friday. You know, it's 18 to 20%. And I, I built a little tool. It's funny. It's called the Productivity Puzzle Cost Calculator. It's a working <laughs> title, Steve, right? But, but when you put in an SME, about a 300-person SME in the UK with a certain amount of leaders, management team and frontline team members, based on Glassdoor average salaries, that 300-person that business will be losing around £1.3 million in lost productivity. And that's a 300-person business. All right, so they're doing 30 million, right? 25, 30 million. But they're losing £1.3 million on lost productivity. It's absolutely a big impact. What would that do to your trading budget if you could recoup half of that back, you know? That's what you've got to be thinking about. Agreed. Agreed. Well, Pete, we could continue on with this discussion for hours, but thank you very much for your insights. I mean, the productivity paradox is something that most business leaders are going to be kind of thinking about and not wondering what to do next, but 
ultimately, where should they start? Probably is the vast part. And I think you've covered it very nicely with the, let's look at the vision. Let's build out a plan for, yes, for the long term, but break it down into small bite-sized chunks. Everything's achievable if you make it into a small part. But ultimately, doing something is better than doing nothing. Make a start would be the first thing I would say to people. Technology is there to help. But ultimately, education is just as important as bringing in the right piece of technology for you. Well, this has been a Leaders Impact, the Iris Interviews podcast. I'm Steve Cox. Thank you again, Pete, for joining me today. And hopefully, we'll speak to you again soon.